1: This morning we're learning about a story that gives reason to worry about kids' futures. What message are we sending?
0: Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Madison Malone-Kercher. You're listening to ICYMI. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. And
1: in some non-news, Joyce Carol Oates is wilding on Twitter again. Oh, Lord. Her tweets. I think that... Of all the people who should no longer be on Twitter, Joyce Carol Oates is one of them. Uh, cause on Wednesday, she got Twitter just a-hoppin, a, hop in, a skip in again, because she decided to tweet. And I quote, When I was first married to my Jewish, Jewishes in parentheses, my Jewish husband, two Jewish women friends of mine, took me aside and said with wry smiles, Welcome to the club. Soon, I knew what they meant.
0: What did they mean? I am not being, like, performatively obtuse in the... Uh, sometimes I play a little dumb so you can answer a question way as as podcasts do. I have no idea what this means. Is this anti-Semitic?
1: Madison, I literally sent this to my roommate, who is Jewish. Mostly <laughs> just to be like, Joyce Carol Oates is wilding again. But mostly just to be like, D- what what's happening here? And she was <laughs> like, I honestly don't
0: know... <laughs> So, (laughs) we're not alone. Great. Uh, This is true. A lot of people on Twitter have spent time trying to parse this tweet for anything resembling something sensical. Spoiler alert. None have succeeded. Uh, (laughs) And later on Wednesday evening of this week, uh, JCO posts a follow-up tweet saying... "Quote: Welcome to the club." Unquote. I think they were joking about a certain lack of reticence re politics and social justice. High energy, high maintenance, hyper protective of family, darkish sense of humor, red diaper baby, loved food. Repeat, loved food. Uh, I don't think that made it better. Uh, I don't. How was any of that implied in the original tweet? I don't know that it was, frankly, because my best stab at the original tweet was definitely my brain went like straight to the gutter oh, 100%. immediately. One hundred percent. Yeah, I was
1: immediately just like genitalia. What are you talking about? This is pretty standard chaos for
0: Joyce Carol Oates tweeting, though, and something that also adds to the chaos is that she doesn't thread. So, like this no. follow up tweet was not a reply to that original tweet, uh, and it would take a, a decent analysis of her timeline to make that second tweet make sense if you came across it in the wild. How caught up are you on Joyce Carol Oates
1: yourself, Rachel? I mean, I only see Joyce Carol Oates when other people are talking about Joyce Carol Oates because I'm going to be honest, I didn't know who she was until she just started posting. Like I got on Twitter, specifically I got on media Twitter in 2017 and everybody was like, there she goes, posting again. And I was just like, who is this lady?
0: Well, so she's a writer who's written a lot of novels, I think like. More than fifty. She taught at Princeton. She's won a national book award. Oh. You, you maybe read. She's got a really famous short story. I mean, she's written a lot of very famous things. But uh, her short story, "Where Are You Going?" Where Have You Been? That is in some like high school English curricula.
1: Madison, I went to public school in Texas.
0: I went to public school in upstate New York. You never know if you're going to get a good English teacher who's going to say, "Hey, here's The Awakening. I think you'll like it." And when you're done, the yellow wallpaper for you. Okay, you never know. Once again. Fair fair enough. Uh, So she's all of these things and has all these accolades, but nowadays she is largely a Twitter personality uh, whose posting energy I think is probably best described as uh, strong and wrong.
1: Strong and wrong really come, I really think, captures it. The thing about her is that sometimes, like with the first, the Jewish tweet, the first one, it's unclear what exactly is wrong. But you just, you just know something is wrong.
0: Sometimes it's more uh, blatant than that. Like her recent post defending quote unquote bad husband, Norman Mailer, who is uh, very well known for treating his wives badly, quite badly. The tweet that Joyce Carol Oates sent about Norman
1: Mailer is quote, bad husband to whom? Like many oft-married men, Norman Mailer wound up finally with a much younger, adoring, and altogether quite wonderful wife, Norris Church, whom everyone liked. Womanizers all eventually wear out. It just takes time. And if you're lucky, you're the last wife. I'm not gonna lie, when I read this, I was like, this feels like good advice. Be the last wife of a rich man. And then I found out um, he stabbed his second wife, not just once but twice. He almost killed her. Uh, so when he, when Joyce Carol Oates says "oft married womanizer eventually wear out," I you know what? <laughs> Maybe there's multiple reasons that you don't want to be his wife besides the fact that he's he's a flanderer.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, as long as you're Catherine Parr, it's all good, right? Oh, my God, yes, Henry VIII, bring him in. I love the Tudors. I do hate to say it, but every time I see a particularly wild, good, bad, or otherwise tweet from her, it does make me uh, think, I should read some
1: more of her stuff. Yes, because she has an imagination, clearly. (laughs) That's one word for it.
0: (laughs) I usually just wait until the internet alerts me, though, of another one of her tweets. I I feel like you don't even have to follow her. The internet is just going to let you know. Today on the show, we're actually talking all about when the internet lets you know that a thing is a thing. Uh, Because today, we are talking about the Streisand effect.
1: Madison, this is another musical theater episode. Papa, can you hear me? (laughs) I don't even... You keep singing songs, and I never know what you're talking about.
0: Uh, You know we only have four topics on this podcast, Rachel, and it's Tumblr, Taylor Swift, musical theater, and people named Rachel.
1: Wow. I mean... Two of those things make me pretty happy, and I do enjoy a spot of musical theater, so keep going.
0: (laughs) We're not actually talking about musical theater. Wow. On the show today, I know, tragedy. I will gladly perform Don't Rain on My Parade for You later, though, because on the show today, we're exploring the phenomenon of when trying to hide or keep something quiet only amplifies its notice and, and how the internet has sped up that process to just lightning speed.
1: This came up recently when a Tennessee school district banned Mouse, a graphic novel about the Holocaust. We're going to be exploring what happened after that book ban, why we called this phenomena the Streisand effect, and how we all get caught up in it online. All that after a quick break.
0: Who told you you're allowed? Hey, Mr. Arnstein, here we are. So uh, earlier this year, also known as approximately a few weeks ago, a Tennessee school board voted to ban the novel Mouse from being used to teach eighth grade students about the Holocaust. In January, the McMinn County Board of Education in Athens, Tennessee, voted 10 to 0 to ban Art Spiegelman's Pulitzer Prize winning graphic novel Mouse. Mouse is a deeply personal true story by Art Spiegelman about his mother and father inside a Nazi concentration camp. Now, the Nazis in this are cats. The Jews are mice. It is riveting, beautiful, and horrible. In an interview with CNBC, Spiegelman called the school board Orwellian for that action. This decision by the Tennessee school board was roundly condemned, with critics pointing out that the exposure to the horrors is exactly the book's point.
1: The school board was theoretically and I say theoretically in a heavy air quotes, concerned with some of the language used in the book and some of the visuals, particularly things like vulgar language and sexually explicit content. Reading the minutes of this school board meeting, it sounds more like they're talking about how they can get rid of it rather than whether they should
0: over the course of coming to the band, some people involved at the school suggested redacting all of the offensive parts, uh, but the amount they wanted to redact would be a fair use violation and also <laughs> would reduce a piece of art to Swiss cheese. Uh, so instead, they just scrapped the whole thing. What really happened when this school banned Mouse, though, was that uh, suddenly the name Mouse, this title, the book was on everybody's lips, including the metaphorical lips of the internet i'm so sorry for that mental image
1: oh ew anyway what the school board did here was fall into a fairly classic streisand
0: effect trap very broadly the streisand effect is what happens when you're trying to keep something quiet and in doing so you only publicize it more uh on a personal level it's like if you get bangs that you don't like but they look kind of fine. But you spend the whole next day at school being like, oh, my God, my bangs are terrible. My bangs are terrible. Now everyone's thinking about your terrible bangs.
1: There, there's some personal trauma in there that we we don't have the time to explore. What we do have the time to explore is why exactly is it called the Streisand effect?
0: So it's actually a relatively new term. It comes from the year 2005 journalist Mike Masnick, who comes up with it after a resort sends a takedown notice to the website urinal.net. net. <laughs> because a photo of a urinal from this particular resort had been uploaded to the website with the resort's name attached. Masnik writes, How long is it going to take before lawyers realize that the simple act of trying to repress something they don't like online is likely to make it so that something that most people would never ever see, like a photo of a urinal in some random beach resort, is now seen by many more people. Let's call it the Streisand effect.
1: Okay, all of this makes sense as a phenomenon that we have observed online. But again, what does Barbara Streisand have to do with any of this?
0: All right, all right, I'm getting there. in In this post, uh, he also links to a story from two years prior when Barbara Streisand sues this photographer and website for violating her privacy. They had taken pictures or were taking pictures of the California uh, coastline for the mm, let me get this right the California Coastal Records Project, uh, which included a shot of Streisand's beachfront property in her home.
1: Okay. I also probably wouldn't want photos of my home publicized on the
0: internet. Okay. But based on the fact that it took me uh, truly three tries to say California Coastal (laughs) Records Project, this is not a thing you'd likely have ever heard of. It's not a big splashy tabloid or a newspaper. It was a Public adjacent project meant to help, like, the California government make informed decisions about freaking erosion. It was not about <laughs> Barbara Streisand's house.
1: Well, now it is because now I only know about the California Coastal Records Project because of Barbara Streisand.
0: <laughs> Barbara, Barbara, Barbara fought to get one of truly 12,000 photos removed oh. because it featured her house. Yeah.
1: Did she win?
0: She did not succeed, and she wound up having to pay uh, defendants' legal fees and uh, also just pay in personal humiliation because of all the attention (laughs) she drew directly to herself. Legal fees,
1: $10,000. Personal humiliation, priceless. Priceless.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's also funny, well, probably not for Barbara, but I find it funny, (laughs) that before she filed this lawsuit, the photo had been viewed six times down oh. him on two hands, including twice by her own legal team. but, but after a nice four hundred and twenty thousand people visited the website within the following month. <sighs> some mistakes were made. I mean, look, did she have an album coming out later that year and maybe she uh, wanted some publicity? Possibly. Probably not.
1: <laughs> this does not I mean, they do say all publicity is good publicity, but this does not
0: feel like good publicity. What's important here, though, aside from roasting Barbara Streisand, I'm sorry, I love you. Uh, This was dumb, girl. Uh, But what's important here is that the Streisand effect itself originated as an online, a distinctly online phenomenon. And it gets applied to a lot of scenarios these days, but it is a specifically digital age term.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I feel like we talk about this probably once a week on this show at this point, that so many times on the Internet, things get amplified that people don't actually want getting out about themselves but the only reason they get amplified is because the person who doesn't want it amplified amplifies it
0: like you said it does happen all the time and the tennessee school board's banning of mouse is just the latest installment after the break we'll be back to talk about the
1: banning of mouse how the band has exponentially increased its popularity, and why the internet is just so damn good at Streisand affecting quite literally everything.
0: just wanted to take a quick second and shout out any new listeners who might have joined us for the first time here today. We're so glad to have you listening uh, to our show. In case you missed it, our show comes out twice a week, Wednesdays and Saturdays. Earlier this week on Wednesday, we covered uh, the most important news to ever grace the internet. Rihanna's having a baby and also something's happening with Joe Rogan and Spotify. We get into all of that and uh, we'd love if you check that out too. All right, we are back with mice. Or more specifically, mouse. Ever
1: since the Tennessee School Board banned mouse, its sales have shot up astronomically. The ban and the way that it's insert the national spotlight has created this kind of curiosity gap, leaving a lot of people looking for the answers to why this ban is happening inside the pages of the book that is supposed to be
0: banned. Art Spiegelman is effectively on a a secondary press tour for this book now talking about the ban, as he damn well should be. My first
1: reaction, and I'm still trying to get over it, is just bafflement uh, because of the grounds on which it was banned. And my first response had been, well, gee, what are these Holocaust-denying crazies in Tennessee all about? And as I kind of it in on it more, I realized, no, no, they are not necessarily stupid Nazis. They're just stupid about what might work for their children
0: Mouse has been at the top of the Amazon literary graphic novel sales charts, and thousands of dollars have been raised to distribute free copies of the books to students. Uh, everybody's making the best they can of this book ban, sort of embracing its renewed popularity in order to spread further awareness. And that—that that is great. It is.
1: Unfortunately, the kind of popularity spike created by the Streisand effect, which is what is happening with Mouse, it isn't just for bannings of historical books, all sorts of internet kerfluffles like this, only serve to amplify whatever people are mad at. And sometimes they're mad at an incredible Pulitzer Prize-winning book of art that deserves all of the sales it's getting, though please stop buying things on Amazon. But sometimes they're
0: amplifying things like R. Kelly When uh, allegations against R. Kelly first came out, streams of his music actually increased. Disgusting. And I think uh, we probably should even talk about a more recent example, right? Joe Rogan.
1: Yeah. I mean, our last episode about Joe Rogan was part of the Streisand effect, which is that there is an initial inciting incident about misinformation and the amplification of it. And in talking about it, even in contextualizing it and what deplatforming means, well-meaning people, I mean, we're pretty well-meaning, I would say, end up amplifying the initial thing that probably shouldn't be in Joe Rogan's case.
0: We also see smaller versions of this happening truly every single day on Twitter if you click on a hashtag and wonder why something is trending only to find just endless tweets from people asking the same question as you. You know, no helpful information, just questions. Not just Twitter, though. TikTok is obviously notorious for this, mm-hmm. especially in the comment section. Yep. Because one of the factors in a TikTok video's virality is how active that comment section is. You know, how much back and forth, fighting, gossiping, whatever is happening down there. And the more comments a video gets, the more times it'll get served into a new person's feed. But what this does is it, leads to so many videos that are reactions to the original thing that you maybe haven't seen, like, say, West Elm Caleb or the couch guy, uh, just full of comments that are like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about?
1: There's also this other phenomenon that happens on TikTok that I feel like I've talked to you about before, Madison, where I'll get served a completely innocuous video. Like most recently, it was this dude who got a perm. And you watch the entire video waiting to figure out why exactly this has like 900,000 likes on it. And you're like, what's going on? And you go to the comment section and you'll see all these people commenting. I don't see any negative comments why are people saying other people are hating on them? Or you'll see other people say stuff like, why are you hating on him? He looks fine, blah, 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 blah. And then other people commenting saying, tag me in the mean comments so I can actually see what's <laughs> happening. And so what ends up happening is that you're, you're just amplifying the mean comments that nobody else would have seen because all you're doing is talking about the mean comments that are hard to find. And of course, if you're like me and you're nosy,
0: you're going to look and try and find the mean comments. <laughs> I mean, like you and your nosy Rachel, that's not a distinct characteristic. Curiosity is like the largest driving force of the internet, right? Yes. And and frankly, you know who's the most curious about everything because they uh, still don't know even close to everything? Not that we ever learn everything. I'm trying, though. Kids. I'm talking about kids. So, you know, banning them from something, telling a middle schooler, You can't read this. It's just like buying them a one-way ticket to punching in Mouse Art Spiegelman question mark into Google.
1: And at this point, there's really no point in hiding anything from anybody who knows what to look for. A very, very brief Google search, and you'll find a copy of Mouse just publicly available on somebody's WordPress blog. Sorry to Mr. Spiegelman. And from a copyright perspective... It's not great. Not great. Gonna admit that. But if parents and school administrators are, I don't even want to say gonna start because this has a long history in America, but are going to keep ripping texts like these from their children's hands, it is really heartening in some ways to know that should they choose to and have the ability
0: to seek it out, it's pretty easy to find. And the funny thing is that all these quote unquote protective parents and school boards are, are so scared of what their children might learn by reading a book like Mouse. And let's be clear, Mouse is just the book du jour, right? That could be any book for kids that centers stories about black kids or stories about LGBTQ kids or stories about indigenous kids. You know, all of these things that they don't want their kids to see or are afraid their kids will learn from, let's be clear. Any child who has grown up in the internet age probably has already encountered some of this online. It really
1: drives home what the point of these bans are, which is not about protecting children. Any child who has internet access, and let's be clear here, not all children Mm -hmm. do, can look this stuff up. But by displacing it from curriculum, it marginalizes and otherizes these histories. And it makes it such that narratives about the Holocaust, about slavery, about America's historical terribleness towards people who are not white men are not a part of the official historical record that is taught to children. And yes, you can seek that out and find it other places, but not being taught that in school does have an impact on what you consider to be real American history. And you have to have the curiosity and the will to look this stuff up. And kids like me and you did. I didn't have the choice to because I I needed to learn about people who look like me. But there are so many people whose understanding of America comes purely through what they learned in school.
0: And that's what the point of these book bans are. That's totally right. I've been thinking, I read a piece in NBC this week that was uh, about this, but also really specifically about a school in Texas that's been going really hard on uh, stories about LGBTQ kids. Texas. (laughs) Yeah. But I was reading this piece about all of these these coming-of-age stories that do describe what queer sex can look like in in some detail, you know, age-appropriate detail, and thinking like, well, I was 16 and typing crap into Go- Maybe not 16. Maybe I was 16. I was a kid typing into Google, like, women have sex with each other. How? Hands? What? Like, <laughs> it makes me so sad to think of books like these vanishing off the shelves and what The kids who need the most lose by not being able to access them.
1: Exactly. And again, it really emphasizes like what you're saying about you Googling women, sex, how, hands, where, go. (laughs) Everyone who has a phone can do that now. So it really is not about the fact that this information is freely accessible, Cause it is, it's about who is controlling that access and what it means to like basically physically marginalize those narratives from school, a place that is like imbued with so much power. And so mouse is currently at the top of the bestseller list and more kids are reading it now more than ever. Maybe they might just be adults like us who have seen this book ban and are like, oh, I should probably read that. And that's great. I'm glad Drag that we're reading me. it. But <laughs> well, I'm dragging myself. Don't worry. But in a few months or a few years, this book, Mouse, will still be banned from that Tennessee school district and all this publicity will have been eclipsed by Joe Rogan saying something stupid that this show will cover and kids in that district will still be taught a version of history that isn't accurate. And I'm not saying that to be cynical because this internet publicity is great. I love that R. Spiegelman is on his, little, his, his second press tour. But I went to high school in Texas where we had a whole year of Texas history. And it was not until I went to college that I learned
0: that the Texas War of Independence was partially fought over slavery. I think that's a really good point, Rachel, and sort of hammers home this idea that what we really need to take away from what's happening with mouse in Tennessee right now is that cycles like this one it feels good as it as it's happening to watch sales spike and, you know, people tweeting emails from their local bookstores that, oh, sorry, this book is out. We'll have it in a month because so many people have tried to order it. Uh, but I think what we should focus more on is that uh, <laughs> now I'm speaking to the significant number of parents I know we have listening to this show. Uh, keep up with what your kids are doing, with what they're reading after this news cycle ends, uh, because... That's where the power to make this not happen lies. Specifically,
1: go to your local school board meetings (laughs) to challenge bans like these. Vote in those school board elections that come at the most inconvenient times because they don't want people to vote in them. Those things are so important to prevent cycles like these happening. And what a strangely IRL conclusion to come to on a podcast about
0: internet culture. Take it offline. It is the only way to fix things. All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Wednesday. Please consider subscribing if you already do. Thank you. We love you. Our show is free and subscribing is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, We also wouldn't say no while you're subscribing if you wanted to drop us a little rating and review over in Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also always drop us a note on Twitter. We are at ICYMI underscore pod or our email is ICYMI at slate.com.
1: ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. We're edited by Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank. Amber Smith is Senior Manager of Podcast Audience Development. And Alicia Montgomery is Executive Producer of Slate
0: Podcast. See you online. Or at a school board meeting.
1: Joyce Errol Oates is. Joyce Errol hosting. Oates.
0: Joyce Errol Flynn Oates. <laughs> Joyce Errol quotes. <laughs> <laughs>